Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, today we're going to begin a couple of conversations about being generous with God and what he's doing in the world. And by that, you know, of course, I mean releasing some of the resources that we have, our money, our time, our focus, and all those things are really important, not only to the kingdom of God, but they're important to New Spring Church because we think about all the things that we're able to do that require money, you folks have generously responded to. But also at New Spring, volunteerism is a big thing because I've often said we couldn't pull off a weekend without our volunteers. Oftentimes it takes us a thousand volunteers to pull off a weekend here at New Spring. I've always, you know, we've all heard churches, you know, heard about churches that all they talk about is money. And so I think here at New Spring, our reputation may be all we talk about is volunteers. But it's so precious to us. And so thank you. And for some of you are New Springers and you're yet to to take on that role, please, please help us because there's something you can do that nobody else can do. And, and, and here's the deal. At New Spring, uh, one of the things we always say is we want you to do what you enjoy. I joked and said we have a one-question spiritual gifts test. What do you like to do? Because whatever you like to do, there's an application for it. In, in God's work. So think about that. You know, I mean, we have all kinds of opportunities. If you, if you love kids, we have about 2,000 kids on a weekend. You know, if you like tech, Lord knows we have tech. You know, if you like whatever you enjoy doing. If you love hospitality, hospitality is huge for us here at New Spring in making people feel welcome in the house of God. So what we're going to be talking about in this series on generosity is releasing what we have in our hand and giving it to God and to what God is doing. Now, especially when we talk about money, I understand that in a lot of churches, this teaching is unpopular, but not here. Uh, I just want to say before I get into this talk, this isn't something that you don't do that I'm asking you to do. One of the things that I hear uh, many times from people who come into New Springs, they'll say, Mark, you rarely ever talk about money. And it's not that I don't believe in, in talking about it. I do. I'm comfortable doing that. And it's not that I think there aren't things to say. I think there are. But one of the reasons why I talk about generosity so rarely is you are so generous. It's part of your DNA. So when I bring this talk today, it's not like I'm trying to challenge you to do something you're not doing. It's kind of a refresher. Last night when I got in from the campus, um, I, I watched a video on nutrition. Uh, it's a, it's a well-known video, but about five years ago, Mary Alice and I watched it and then we changed the way we ate. But one thing I've learned is that vision leaks. And so every once in a while, I notice my habits starting to slide a little bit in that area, and I start to eat some things that I shouldn't eat. And you know what I do? I go back and watch that video again because I remember all the reasons why I do what I do. And, and so last night, I, I watched a good part of that again because I want to make sure that I keep refreshed in something that's very important to me. So when I, when I talk about financial generosity at New Spring, you guys are already the most generous people I know. You're known all over the world for your generosity and your extraordinary generosity. But it's kind of like watching that video again and rem remembering why we do what we do. But in many churches, a message on giving is kind of like going to the dentist. And I've been in some of those churches and I felt like I was going to the dentist. And so I think I understand why. That's a big thing with me. I always want to understand why things are the way they are, especially in the spiritual realm. See, 
God intended giving to be a supernatural process in which three spiritual forces would come together and work in a miraculous way. The problem with too many messages or sermons that I've heard on giving is that preachers extract only one of those and build a talk around it, and wise people quickly know that what they're hearing is false because this minister has emphasized only one aspect of something that was meant to be a supernatural process. It would be like, you know, getting a recipe for a muffin and eating just one ingredient by itself, just eating flour by itself. And you would know that if you ate flour, you weren't eating a muffin, you're eating an ingredient. And so I really believe that so many reasons why, one of the reasons why so many Christians have a hard time with messages on giving, it's just like the, the minister has only given them one ingredient. Let me show you what I mean. I've heard a lot of preaching, especially in a traditional church like I grew up in. I heard a lot of messages on giving that emphasize the duty of it, you know, especially a message on tithing, one-tenth of our income. So I've heard preachers preach messages, you owe God one-tenth of your income. And if you don't pay God your 10%, then you're a God robber. You know, I'm like, we're all sitting out there like, whoa, I didn't know how much trouble I was in. You know, and, and it takes all the joy and all the faith out of it. So I don't know, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but I just wonder, do we have any veterans of the traditional church where if you heard a sermon on giving, it's like you're being hammered and you're like, wow, I didn't know I was a God robber. And then there are messages that I've heard that focus on the fact that people who have money should give it to people who don't have it. And in those churches, oftentimes, they fall into socialism and they fall into what's called the social gospel where it's just kind of like your response to God is just a do-gooder kind of thing. It doesn't really matter how you live as long as you, you know, people who have money give it to people who don't have it. And then we've all heard about uh, those preachers who preach only on what you're going to get if you give. And that's the whole premise of the message. You know, if you give to God, then all of a sudden there's just going to be cash in all your pockets. And those preachers oftentimes tell stories that go like this. And I don't know, maybe I'm overdoing this a little bit, but it's pretty close. The preacher will say as he preaches the message, I gave and now I drive a Mercedes Benz and wear designer clothes and fly in my own private jet airplane. And if you give to my ministry, you can have it too. And it's sort of a religious Ponzi scheme. You see what I'm saying? I think when, a lot, when in a lot of messages, one aspect of what was meant to be a supernatural process gets emphasized, what results is something that's false. It's not true. Well, those three premises that I just shared with you, at the core, there's a kernel of truth. But if we don't see how God fits it all together, like I said, it results in something false. It's like the ancient parable that I heard a lot when I was a little kid about three sight-impaired men who were trying to describe to their fellow sight-impaired individuals what it was like uh, to, to experience an elephant. And they tried to describe an elephant, but each man only touched part of the elephant. The one guy who touched the trunk said an elephant is like a flexible hose. And then there was the guy who touched only the leg of the elephant. He said an elephant is like a great tree trunk. And then one was able to touch the tail. He said an elephant is like a rope. Well, you, you would know that there's truth in all of those, but none of those are what an elephant is. And I think that's how a lot of messages on giving have been. And the result, of course, is a lot of misleading stuff that happens in the church. 
Well, we are a Bible-centered church, and I, I say this all the time. I'm well cognizant of the fact that you don't drive as far as you drive to hear the opinions of Mark Hoover. You want to hear the Word of God. So let's ask the question. Let's just move church and ministry and preachers out of this for a moment. Where would you go in the Bible to see all three things fit together the way they were meant to fit together so that our result would be real truth? I mean, it is true. We do have a responsibility and a duty to give. And it is true that people who are blessed should bless others. Blessed people are blessed to bless people. And it's certainly true that if you give to God, you can't outgive God. But where would we go in the Bible to see all these work accurately so that when we walk out of here, we can have a biblical perspective on how these three principles fit together. And instead of eating just one ingredient, we can eat the muffin. Well, the title of the message today is called Sack Lunch. It's a story from the life and the ministry of Jesus, and I know it's important, and I know he wanted us to pay attention because it's the only miracle that's in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Happened like this. Jesus uh, had said to his disciples, you know, we're, we're under a lot of pressure, we're exhausted, let's, let's get out of here and just take some time off. And so he was going to a place where they could be alone. It was kind of a wilderness area. It was kind of a, a time to rest and recoup. But Jesus had been healing sick people. He'd been changing lives. And so the disciples weren't able to get away by themselves because the crowd followed them into the wilderness. In Jesus' day, just like ours, people were hurting. They weren't finding hope in a broken world, and they needed only what Jesus could do. And so that crowd that followed Jesus out, it began to build. Maybe at first there were 10 and then 100, and it grew to 1,000, and it got really crazy. We're looking at Matthew's version of this story in chapter 14, verse 21. The number, the Bible says, was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Well, I'm maybe being too cute by half, but if you have 5,000 men, I think it's plausible that you had 5,000 women. And if you have 5,000 men and 5,000 women, there are going to be some kids out there. We know there was at least one kid there. So I'm guessing, and Bible scholars postulate that perhaps this crowd was as large as 20,000 people. And they'd been out there listening to Jesus teach all day. And they'd, they were so taken by what Jesus had to say, they forgot that they hadn't eaten. And as I hinted a few moments ago, they were in the middle of a place that was desolate. There were no McDonald's, Burger King's. Chick-fil-A's, there weren't even any quick trips out there. And so Jesus was concerned about them. We read that in Mark's version of this. In Mark 6, 34, when Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Now, what does that compassion mean? Well, there was another time when Jesus fed 4,000. And when we hear what Jesus had to say about the crowd in that story, it gives us some understanding of how he felt, what his compassion meant. In Matthew 15, 32, Jesus said, I feel sorry for the people. They have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may become exhausted on their way home. That is what Jesus felt. And by the way, I want you to know today that just as Jesus is concerned about your spiritual needs, he's concerned about your physical needs as well. That's important because we live in tough times and some of you are going through difficult times. Jesus is concerned about that. Instantly, he is greeted by four attitudes. And these four attitudes are with us yet today. Now, I think at New Spring, we only pretty much see the last one. But in a lot of churches, we see the first three. And by the way, the first three attitudes of all people come from his disciples. 
So let's look at these attitudes that existed with Jesus' disciples on this day and understand that they're with us yet today. Let's start with the nameless disciples because the Bible doesn't tell us which ones they were, but there were nameless disciples who when Jesus talked about feeding the crowd, they said, this is not our problem. And we see it in Matthew 14. They said, no one lives in this place. It's already late. Here's the language. Send them away. Jesus had compassion. Wants to do something for this crowd. Doesn't want to send them away hungry. But these nameless disciples said, it's not our problem. It's not our fault that they're here. Make them go away. That's That's our solution to the problem. Out of sight, out of mind. If we're not looking at them, they don't exist. Well, it's true in American Christianity at least. You know, there are those who have the idea, we found Jesus, our kids are going to heaven, the people we like are all in our church. The others, it's up to them to figure it out. People in prison without a Bible, hey, they should have thought about that before they got arrested. People in Muslim countries without a Bible, just how it goes in that part of the world. Women in fresh hope, a wonderful ministry here in New Spring that's ministered to over a thousand women who were, many of them battered and many of them have gone through things and experiences that most of us will never dream of. But those women in fresh hope, you know, aren't there special, aren't there social services for that? That's not how you think. And I know that. But that's how it is in so many churches. Send them away. Send them away. We're not even going to think about those people. We're not going to think about those people who need Jesus. We're not going to think about those people that it would cost some money to minister to and to send someone to them and to send Bibles to them. It's just not our problem. There are people who are hopeless and helpless, dying on the road to hell. I could do something about it, but it's not my problem. Well, if you're not a a Christ follower, I guess technically a person could say that. But there's a problem with any Christ follower who has the idea that those who are hurting and suffering without Christ are not their problem because Jesus is not buying it. Because when the disciples basically said, send them away, look at what Jesus said. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now think about that. You know, what Jesus, he knew what he was going to do. We'll see that in just a moment. But Jesus wasn't saying to the disciples, you guys don't have to worry about this. I'm just going to do a miracle here and take care of everything. But before he did that, Jesus looked at what was the church at that time, and he said, you do something about this. You do something about this. Well, that brings us to the second attitude in Philip. Last week, Philip was a good example, but he misfires here because when Jesus says, you guys handle this, Philip instantly goes to a very popular place today. He goes to the analytics I'm hearing a lot of talk about the analytics today. It's the math of something. It's exploring the math and understanding how the math works. And here's the thing about giving to God's work. If we go according to the analytics, we'll misfire just like Philip did. His attitude was, can't be done. I've I've looked at the analytics and it's just not possible. Look at this, John 6, this time John's gospel. Jesus asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he, I love this, already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knows what he's doing. Philip replied, here's the analytics for you. 
Even if we work for months. Now, Philip has gone to a place that is completely hypothetical because he doesn't have months. The, the crowd's right there at that moment. But Philip is doing the analytics. And he's gone to a hypothetical place. And in, in the actual Greek language, what he said is, if we worked for a whole year, if we worked every weekday for a whole year, there would not be enough money for everybody here just to have one bite. So what is he doing? He's like, Jesus, I have looked at the analytics and this thing that you're asking us to do to feed this crowd, I've looked at the numbers. It's just not possible. And I really do think a lot of Christians, when they look at the world today and its brokenness and dysfunction, I think a lot of us, we're not like the first crowd that says, send them away. It's like, well, I would love to do something about this. But when I look at my resources and just how broken the world is, it's not possible. And you see, the thing about saying it's not possible is it's easy to quit at that point. If I should do something and I won't do something, as we saw with the first attitude, then I have, a really, I have to really look in the mirror. But if I, if I know I should do something, but I can't do it, you know, can't is a powerful word. Many Christians have that idea today. And I got to tell you this, it is my joy to talk to you about this because this is not who you are. I don't know why I keep coming back to Bibles, but really something started in our church. And you guys at New Spring, you know the story. You know, we had a mother who had a daughter in an East Texas prison, a really bad prison. And I've been preaching from these Bibles for years. It's an NLT version. I bought it at a Christian bookstore. I think I paid $21 for it. That's the retail price. I'm always leading people to Christ, and when I do, I say, do you have a Bible? And oftentimes they won't, or they'll have an old translation, and I always give people my Bible. I've done that for years. And so when this mother reached out to us and said, I have a daughter in East Texas prison, is there any way that you could send her a Bible? My wife, Mary Alice, was reading, reading incoming mail to our church to me, and she said that, and, and all of a sudden just something arose in me because I thought about the fact that prisoners never really own anything important. And so oftentimes they're given the junk of the world. And I've seen what happens with a lot of Bibles that are given out like that. It's like a, a paper copy of the Bible and the print is so small, it's about five point, but they're cheap, you know, they're 50 cents. And just out of nowhere, because I only thought it was one, one prisoner, I said to Mary Alice, I don't want to give her a cheap Bible. I want to give her a Bible just like I preach from. And I said, you just need, you know, we need to go down to the bookstore and buy that Bible. Well, you know what happened? We sent it to her and then the other women in her cell area began to reach out to us and say, is there any way that I could get a Bible? And so you know what happened? I came in and I talked to you. And you know what? That's the craziest thing on paper to give a Bible like this just blindly and say, we're going to offer this. But I brought it to you and I told you about it and I told you about her. And you know what you did? You stepped up because this church, this church just doesn't believe stuff can't be done that God says can be done. And so we just begin to send out cases of Bibles because the requests begin to come to us. And one prison became two prisons and then three. And now we're in over 30, 35 prisons around the United States. And this... And I don't know if I've ever told this part of the story or not, but we, we begin to reach out to the publisher. And we said, 
uh, actually, Dan, you met Dan a few moments ago. If you haven't met him already, senior administrative pastor. Dan called the publisher. He talked to a lady that answered the phone and said, this is what we're doing. Is there any way we can get a price break on this? And she began to be moved. And she said, let me put you with the CEO of the company, the CEO of the company that prints these Bibles. Tyndale, I'll just go ahead and mention the name. And he got moved. He, Dan could tell that there were tears in his eyes as he listened to the story of how we were getting these Bibles in the hands of prisoners. And here's what he said. He said, we're going to do something for you. We're going to sell these Bibles to you for raw cost. And he said, you know what? He said, why don't you just pick the colors that you like and put your name on the front and put your church verse on the back. And there's a letter from me in the front. And he said, we're just going to do this for you at our cost. And from that moment on, we began to send Bibles all over the United States. And we ran out. And I came back to you. And, and remember, I don't know if you, if you remember this or not. This is if, you just, if you're new to New Spring, just don't want you to know the DNA of the church you're in. I came back to you and I said, we're, it's going to cost not only a, the amount that we paid last time, but raw costs have been escalating. And, and you raised the amount I asked you to, and then I found out later it was going to cost more. And I came back to you and you raised that amount the very next weekend. You know, here's the thing about this. <laughs> you guys are known for this all over the United States. I've talked to church leaders. I was, actually on a, I was actually on a radio interview with one of the leaders of one of the largest denominations in the United States. And they're blown away by this. But you know what I hear in their voices? Oh, that would just be too expensive. And we could never do this. You know what? We have never run out of Bibles because of your generosity. You decided somewhere back then, okay, that's, that's throwing our hat over a pretty high wall. And we don't have any idea how many Bibles we're going to be asked for. And yes, this is a very nice Bible. It's the same one I speak from every weekend. But it's like there are prisoners out there who don't know Jesus. And they, they, they've experienced the worst things in life. And you know what? We're going to find a way to do this. And every, <laughs> probably every month I talk to church leaders somewhere and say, well, that's a great thing, but that would just be too expensive. We can't do that. It's impossible. Do you ever wonder about how much could be done with just the wealth of American Christians? Do you ever wonder what could be done if we just understood how our gift and God's power can come together? Because if we do the analytics, like all those leaders that I'm talking to, if we're doing the analytics, it's just not, it's not possible. But never forget this. If you, if, you, if you can just, anything else I ever talk about giving, just remember this one line. Anything you put in God's hand, he multiplies. He doesn't just add, he multiplies. And he can make it exponential. Well, if you know the rest of the story I'm telling, you know clearly that's true. But that brings us to attitude number three in Andrew. Andrew said, his attitude is, we have a little something, but it's not enough to make any difference. Now, you've got to have credit for Andrew because evidently he's, he's thought it over and he's found a sack. Well, let's read. John 6, 8. Andrew spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. FYI, we're not talking about loaves of bread like you get at the grocery store. We're talking about, and forgive me, I'm from Texas. This is just my language, tortillas. That's exactly what these were. They were tortillas. Andrew said, we got a kid here who's got a sack lunch. He's got five tortillas and two little fish. But what good is that with such a huge crowd? Nothing here but a sack lunch. 
Now, again, to Andrew's credit, let's think this through. I mean, let's just do the Philip thing and do the analytics here. To Andrew's credit, he's got a little boy sack lunch and 20,000 people who are hungry. If there's no God, you got to hand it to Andrew. I mean, he's telling Jesus just it's the facts. It's the way life works. It's, it's the math. Andrew's like, well, we do have a little something here. I'm not like Philip. I'm not saying it's impossible. we got a kid here, but what is, what is that? And I think there are Christians who have that idea today. It's like, well, I don't have very much. I, you know, I'm just a working man, a working woman, and, and uh, I mean, I, I may make minimum wage, and, and uh, I have a little something. But what is that? I mean, what difference would what I have make? And it could be that way about volunteering, because you could be having sat out there a few moments ago and heard me talk about volunteering. You're like, Mark, I, I just not the most gifted person in the world. You're probably way more gifted than you know. But I do think there are Christ followers who would love to volunteer and they'd love to serve, but it's like, I just don't know that I have anything to give. And that's, that's where Andrew was. He said, there's a little boy here and he's got a little something, but what would that be? I mean, here, here's my little income and my little bank account. And Jesus said, go into the world and tell everybody. I got a little something, but it's not enough. And that brings us to the fourth attitude, and you knew this was coming. You saw it coming from the beginning when I announced the title. This guy never speaks in our story, but we, and we don't know his name, but he clearly had to say this or else the story couldn't happen. It's a little boy. It's a little boy. And before he went to hear Jesus, and I don't know how he talked his mom into letting him out of school that day, but he must have talked his mom into it and said, I want to go hear Jesus. And she's like, so many of you mamas and daddies, she said, well, you're not going to go without a sack lunch. And she made him wait while she prepared a little sack lunch that the poorest of the poor people had, five tortillas, two little fish that were meant to add a little spice to the tortillas. So how, how could we summarize this little boy's attitude because he doesn't speak? Well, his actions speak louder than words. His attitude clearly is, Jesus, all I have is a sack lunch, and I have no idea how you're going to use it. But if you need my sack lunch, you can have it. That's the attitude of New Spring, isn't it? That is our DNA. That's why I rarely ever talk on this, because it's so who you are. From some of you who have been blessed very much in life, and your generosity allows you to do great things as far as number goes. And for some of you, you're barely making ends meet. But by faith, you do what you can do. It's your heart. Lord, this is what I have. I don't know how you're going to use it. But if you need it, you can have what I have. Now, instantly, it's clear to me that this little boy had to overcome some objections that a lot of people have today. And I know a lot of people have these objections because we just saw statistics that came out this week that said only 13% of Christ followers tithe and over 50% of American Christians, who are the most blessed people in the world, give less than 1%. So I know that some of American Christians have to be subscribing to one of these philosophies that this little boy had to overcome. What, one would have been, it's mine. It belongs to me. My mama meant this for me. Or it could have been, he could have said to Jesus, these people should have thought about eating before they came out here. They should have brought their own sack lunch. And then the third attitude that may be a problem for some of us, a little boy could have said, if I give this to Jesus, what will I eat? 
And that kind of thinking stopped so many people, but it didn't stop him. Those of you New Springers who listen to me speak through the years, you know I have a very vivid imagination. There's a picture I would love to see. I don't think I've ever seen an artist tackle this, but there's one picture I would love to see. And when we get to heaven, hopefully God kept this where I can see the, the actual footage on this. I love the moment where the little boy looks up into the eyes of Jesus and hands him his lunch. Tell you why. There's a crowd of 20,000 people there, and it's like there are two people out of that 20,000 who get it. Of course, Jesus and this little boy. I mean, there were, there were these disciples who were like, they had a title. They didn't get it. I, I just want to see the picture. When I get to heaven, I want to see, and I, I wish some artists would tackle this. Just, just this picture of this little boy looking up into the eyes of Jesus and Jesus looking down into his eyes and the little boy reaching up and giving the sack lunch and, I, and seeing that sack lunch go into the hand of Jesus. I want to ask you to put yourself in this little boy's place. Can you see yourself doing this? Can you go back in time and see yourself as this little boy? Can you see yourself putting this lunch in the hand of Jesus? And there's a reason I ask that. Because there's no gradient scale here. It either makes perfect sense to you or it makes no sense at all. For everyone listening here today, this either makes absolutely perfect sense. And I think most of you here at New Spring, at least, you're there. Or on the other hand, for the reasons I've already given and more, it makes no sense at all. Well, as I close out this message, let me give you four reasons why what this boy did made perfect sense. Here's the first one. And I think I should have, I should have saved this for number four because this is my favorite. I should have built up to it, but I want to give it to you right now. This is my favorite reason why it makes sense. He got to see his sack lunch in the hand of the creator of the universe. Can I say that one more time? He got to see his sack lunch in the hands of the creator of the universe. Someone could say, Mark, I want to give to God's work, but what I have is so little, so ordinary, I'm not rich. Let me ask you, what could be more ordinary than a brown bag lunch? Five little tortillas and two tiny fish. <sighs> but in the hands of Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean, what happens when you bring your tithe or your gift or your offering and you put it in the hands of Jesus? What, what matters at that moment is whose hands your offering is in. Because the Bible says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. When you bring your offering, that's whose hand you just put your offering in. He got to watch. He brought that sack lunch in his hand. And then he got to look up and see it in the hands of the creator of the universe. Number two, second reason why what he did makes perfect sense. He got to watch his sack lunch meet the need of thousands. Can you imagine his ecstasy watching 20,000 people get all they wanted to eat that day and think, thinking, you know, this all started with my brown bag. I mean, he's looking all around and people eating fish, people eating bread. How did Jesus do that? I don't know. Don't I create the world in the first place? I just know he did. 
And that boy could look around. He's like, all these people like, you know, oh my goodness, I'm full. And he's like, this all started with my brown bag. I keep mentioning Bibles because I just shared the story of how we started doing. And you guys have given away well over 100,000 Bibles. I remember when we first started talking about it, there were some who God had blessed financially and they were able to give a sizable gift. But I remember, I remember there was a fresh hope lady who herself was trying to get her life together and thank God for that wonderful ministry. And she said, I know what it's like to be in that situation. And all I can buy is one Bible. But I want to buy one Bible for a woman prisoner in East Texas. It wasn't long after we did that. We got, I think I shared this with you at one point, maybe not. We got a message from a chaplain at one of the worst prisons in East Texas, another women's prison. And he wrote us because we not only send a Bible, we also send that little book I wrote, uh, My New Walk with God. And this chaplain wrote us and said, that book has started a revival in this prison. He said, we've made a makeshift baptistry out in the prison yard. And he said, we're about to baptize 33 women who have accepted Jesus Christ with those Bibles. And when I heard that, I thought about those, that fresh hope lady who said, all I, can do, all I can do is buy one Bible. You know what? She can look at that revival and say, my Bible started that. Just like this boy looked at the crowd and said, man, this all started with my sack lunch. Why is that possible? Why does that make sense? Because the 2 Corinthians 9 says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God is like, I'm going to bless you so you can do more. I'm going to bless you. Blessed people are blessed to bless people. Number three, this is the most practical reason why what he did made sense. He gave, but he didn't lose. And I think all of you are generous, but it could be that someone is here today or watching online or watching on television. You may be in another church. And you say, well, Mark, I, I just never have the headroom financially to give to what God is doing. And it's, the reason why they think in those terms is to them, giving is always a deficit situation. Like if I have 100% of my income, tithing's part of my analysis in my life, it's kind of the starting point for us. We bring a tenth of our income. And, and there are those who would look at that and say, well, if I, if I bring a tenth of my income, that means I'm going to have 90%. If there's no God, I hand it to you. That's true. That's true. But the thing about giving by faith is that you're not dealing with a deficit situation. You give, but you don't lose. Well, let's read what happened in the story. When the people had eaten their fill, he said to the disciples, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. They went to work and filled 12, there's a reason for that number, 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. Now, there's another picture I want to see when I get to heaven. I want to see the little boy hand his sack lunch to Jesus. I also want to see this little boy go home because behind him is 12 men all carrying baskets of leftovers. I mean, can you imagine when his mama saw him at the door and said, baby, what's this? He said, leftovers. <laughs> and there are 12 disciples back there. You remember a bunch of them said, make them go away. And there was one who said, well, you know, uh, can't be done. And, then, and uh, probably the brightest of them in this regard said, 
It doesn't make any sense. And all 12 of those guys are walking back to the house with a basket of leftovers. You see, the thing about giving to God is you're never in a deficit situation. I mean, Jesus put it this bluntly. If you give, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full, but not as you gave it, with overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together. Look at this, to make room for more. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. He gave, but he didn't lose. Well, I'm into overtime, so let me give you one more reason why what this little boy did made perfect sense. And I love this. His sack lunch became legendary. I mean, the Bible's clear on this. There were a lot of people who believed Jesus was the Messiah because of this particular miracle. I mean, think about this. There's a little kid coming with a sack lunch, and it wasn't just that 20,000 people got fed. There were, there were so many people who accepted Christ because of this miracle. It became a national story. And here we are in 2021, and we're still talking about it today. I want to close where I started. God chose this miracle to be the only miracle in all four Gospels. And you and I have a chance to start a legend. We have a chance to do something legendary. And it can begin with something as small as a sack lunch. Thank you for being here. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.